Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I had made it a, a point in my mind and in my planning for the program uh, not to harp too much on this vaccine thing. I, I know that opinions are mixed, and I know that uh, we are you know, every day learning more uh, about the availability and, and in all aspects of the vaccine. Uh, but I have to bring this up. Because as I was looking through some of the some of the polling data, some of the surveys conducted by specifically the Pew Research Center, I found the research firm. I found something absolutely fascinating. There has been an interesting fluctuation in terms of the support enjoyed, or rather, the support by Americans saying that they would get a vaccine for the coronavirus. Let me share with you some of the broad strokes in these findings. A question was asked by Pew Research in May of this year. And think back to May. It was about 97 months ago, uh, May of 2020. There was a question put to Americans asking if they would receive a vaccine to prevent COVID-19 if it were available today. So again, this question, think of it posed in May of this year. You know, The total of American respondents that day when asked about whether or not they'd receive, came in 72%. 72% of Americans in May were open to being vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, in September of this year, that same question was asked, and support fell by more than 20%. In September of this year, 51%. Only half of America was open to receiving a vaccine. Okay, that's all well and good. But this is what struck me. This is what struck me and and caught me off guard. That same research firm, Pew Research, asked the same question in November of this year. Just two weeks ago or so. Asked the same question. What percentage of U.S. adults who say if a vaccine to prevent COVID-19 were available today, they would get the vaccine. The percentage jumped from only half to then 60%. Right now, we are sitting about at about 60% support or 60% of Americans uh, eager or willing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And there has been an effort on the part of many to encourage that number to rise. There have been many messages uh, crafted and targeted at the remaining 40%. 
If you have any thoughts on this, 57500, it's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. I'd even be eager to hear in which camp you fall. Are you in the 60% or the 40%? Would you get one or no? I have told you repeatedly that I am, I'm in the 60% camp. And I'm in with I'm in the subset of the 60 percent camp that has been willing and open to a vaccine from the beginning of this outbreak. And now that one has been deemed approved by the FDA to be safe and effective, uh, you can bet when it's my turn in line, I'll be there. And I'll advise and encourage my family to do the same. And I would uh, be so bold as to encourage you and your family to do the same. But I am just one voice. You have likely noticed, certainly if you've been listening to the newscasts here on KSL News Radio throughout the morning, that uh, earlier today there was an event in which we saw Vice President Mike Pence sitting alongside uh, his wife, Mrs. Pence, and the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Jerome Adams. Why were they sitting together? Well, for whatever reason, they found themselves deserving of the... COVID-19 vaccine. I've heard that uh, a number of high-ranking U.S. officials qualify uh, for one reason or another within the CDC's uh, recommendations. It may have something to do with continuity of government or something. That's a debate for another day as to who in those echelons deserves what and when. Uh, But but, uh, they received the vaccine nonetheless. And I have heard, I have heard some of the rationale behind the, uh, you know, the live viewing opportunities that we have seen as healthcare professionals have received the first doses. You remember, just uh, it was Tuesday here in Utah that the very first healthcare provider, uh, caregiver, received their shot in the arm along with a few others. Now I think we're up to, uh, are we at a thousand yet? Maybe I don't know, I'll, I'll double check the Utah numbers, but we're we're getting those vaccines distributed, and much of it has been on full public display. Now, you increase, you increase the visibility of that when you get someone involved like the vice president. And so my question would be this. If you find yourself in the 40%, the 40% who are uh, hesitant to receive the vaccine, does seeing, does seeing people like Mike Pence, Karen Pence, the Surgeon General, I got word earlier today that Mitch McConnell, has received uh, a vaccine. Does knowing that change your mind at all? Or are there are there other people? Are, are there other people who, who you place your faith in? And if they were to get it, you would get it. I don't know. Uh, let's hear from the vice president himself. He, uh, this morning, while <clears throat> just after receiving uh, the vaccine, had this to say. You know, as the Christmas holiday approaches, this is always a season of hope. We gather here today at the end of a historic week to affirm to the American people that hope is on the way. Now, in terms of the historic nature of this week, the vice president, just after receiving the vaccine and at least the design of the event, I believe, uh, did so publicly the way he did alongside his wife in an effort to show that, look at us, we got the vaccine and here we are still standing. It's safe, safe enough for me to inject it into my own bloodstream and to uh, sit alongside my wife as she does the same. Here's Vice President Pence speaking on what this week will mean historically. And I also believe that history will record that this week was the beginning of the end of the coronavirus pandemic. But with cases rising across the country, 
with hospitalizations rising across the country, we have a ways to go. He continued to speak hopefully about what this vaccine will mean for the future. After a year of, of heartbreak and hardship, the American people can be encouraged. And Karen and I hope this step today will be a source of confidence and of comfort to the American people. That thanks to all the men and women who've operated under Operation Warp Speed, that we have a safe and effective vaccine, and that these days of hardship and hard heartbreak will, in a day not too far in the distance, will be put in the past. So with gratitude for the American ingenuity of our research companies, with gratitude for the incredible healthcare workers who have met this moment and continue to meet this moment in the life of the nation, with gratitude for all the officials at the federal and state level, and gratitude to our president for his vision with Operation Warp Speed, I'm confident that we will get through this. We will get through this together. I've received a, a couple of interesting texts I'll read to you. First one, this one asks about President Trump. It says, when does President Trump get the credit he deserves for cutting the red tape to get the vaccine out before the end of the year, just like he said? I, I, I think that on this program, at least, we, we talked about some of the comments delivered from the floor of the Senate just the other day by Mitch McConnell. We played those at length where uh, Majority Leader McConnell praised the president for his support and implementation of Operation Warp Speed. I think that objectively there is a recognition of that program and its role in the rapid rollout of this vaccine. We know that there has been nothing, nothing to come even close to this to ever happen in in world history. The history of medicine cannot cite you an example where the the development of a vaccine, something that typically takes, what, a decade in some cases? was able to find a a process through which it could pass to successfully develop a vaccine in one year's time. And President President Trump's role in that, uh, it can't be denied. Uh, We're going to take a break right now. When we return, we're going to continue this conversation specifically with Representative John Curtis, who says he will get the vaccine. Why he says that, we'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. As we wrap up the program today, I want to cover... Uh, A number of stories kind of in rapid-fire succession that have been on my mind uh, over the past few days and as we prepare to hang out with you here this afternoon. Uh, The first one being the announcement of earlier in the week that there may very well be $1,500 coming into the bank accounts of Utah teachers, with the exception maybe of teachers in the Salt Lake City School District, unless they return to the classroom for in-person teaching. I think that that is really broken down into two questions. Number one, do the teachers deserve a $1,500 bonus? I won't uh, dwell too much on this, but uh, I will say 100% yes. Absolutely. Some might react to that saying, yeah, well, what about this group? What about that group? What about these folks who have been impacted by COVID-19? What about that group who has had to uh, work extra hard? That's all well and good, but just know that like in the debate space, when you find yourself reverting to whataboutisms, uh, you're not likely on the strongest ground. The individual merits of these teachers and the tasks that they have undertaken and the risks that they have exposed themselves to ought to be the only considerations. And those other groups who have been so 
so greatly impacted by COVID-19 that they should be evaluated too for whether or not they warrant uh, a bonus. <laughs> My likely thoughts would be, yeah, first responders, yep, 100%. Cops, yep, 100%. Firefighters, yep, 100%. EMTs who are hauling people to the hospital, possibly infected with COVID-19, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Be leery of what about isms. That's just the that's just the first question that I have. The second question is, ought this $1500 bonus be used as a carrot, if you will, or an enticement to lure Salt Lake City School District teachers back into the classroom? A return to face-to-face instruction being a prerequisite for receipt of this $1500 bonus. No, that's not right. That's not right at all. I have seen both the Herculean efforts to deliver instruction in a remote session undertake or in a remote fashion undertaken by these teachers, and I have also seen the toll that it takes on both their minds and their bodies. I know that some studies released have shown that there have been decreases and a slipping of grades and an increased number of failing grades. The teachers feel that. That doesn't make them happy. That is not necessarily a result of slacking. They're not looking for a vacation. They're hurt and troubled by this as well. They're feeling the impact of COVID-19 as well. We've reached out to the office of Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who uh, will hopefully be joining us next week to discuss this issue. We know that it is uh, legislative leadership's intention to likely go forward with this plan, including the element surrounding Salt Lake City school districts withholding the $1,500 unless they are back in the classroom by, uh, I think it's mid-January. Anxious to see what he has to say, uh, as this will likely require legislative action into the next administration. Creating a situation where ultimately the decision will come down to Spencer Cox. We'll ask him uh, those questions when given the opportunity. Uh, And uh, moving on from that topic, I quickly want to return to something I mentioned earlier today, and it was about uh, those highly visible, uh, high-ranking government officials receiving COVID-19 vaccines. We saw the vice president earlier receiving one uh, included in that uh, was his wife and the Surgeon General of the United States, Jerome Adams. Those three individuals uh, on live television receiving the vaccine, offering commentary afterwards, encouraging those Americans who are still hesitant to get the vaccine. Well, uh, I also learned earlier this morning that Mitch McConnell had received the vaccine, uh, but I didn't get an explanation as to why. I wasn't sure which category he fit into to prioritize his receipt of the vaccine. Well, uh, I was also curious about other members of Congress, and I just a, a moment ago got an email from the office of Senator Mitt Romney, which I think offers something of an explanation. I speculated that Mitch McConnell was likely on the receiving end of the vaccine due to a certain continuity of government concerns. You need those in elected office to, uh, you know, stay healthy and active so that we can, you know, as slow as it's, it's playing out, uh, but eventually, you know, vote for the measures that could offer relief. 
Anyway, the email I got from Senator Mitt Romney's office reads, the attending physician, this is a, a quote from Senator Romney, quote, the attending physician's office has now informed all senators that for continuity of government purposes, we are to receive vaccination and that there is no reason to delay. In accordance with this directive, I will receive the vaccine. I will also continue to wear a mask, practice social distancing, and avoid large gatherings in line with public health guidance. He continues, our most urgent task is to get emergency COVID relief across the finish line. I look to congressional leadership to finalize the bill, hopefully in a way that is consistent with much of the bipartisan proposal we presented earlier this week. So two parts there. First, we are learning that it is the directive of the attending physician that all senators ought to receive the vaccine for continuity of government purposes. How does that make you feel? What do you think about that? 57500 is the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Feel free to weigh in there. And then secondarily, we hear a plea from Senator Romney directly to congressional leadership. That sounds a lot like what we heard from uh, Representative John Curtis as we spoke to him earlier, that congressional leadership can get on the same page, negotiate this through to completion, pass the vote, get government funded, get relief handed out, and should the president veto the defense spending bill, get that veto overridden. Those are all things that need to happen before the end of this year, before the end of this Congress at least, and the sooner the better. We need government to be funded. We need relief, especially for those small businesses and those folks who have been disproportionately struck by the coronavirus, and it's up to Congress to get it done. Time for me to step aside. Up next, we're going to start pregame coverage of BYU basketball taking on San Diego State. That's from 2 o'clock until 3 o'clock when we'll then have tip-off. I'm so looking forward to this. BYU sports and sports of any sort. So, so welcome this time of year. And specifically in the midst of this coronavirus. That's it for me. Please enjoy the weekend. Have fun. Get outside. Get some air in your lungs and some blood pumping through your veins. Spend time with your family. Get that Christmas shopping done. Buy local if you can. Enjoy yourself. Be safe. And you and I will get together again on Monday at 1230 here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.